it's a balance, I think, of of not completely thwarting their ideas, but giving them some inspiration too. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. This is Annalise Corbin, your host, and I'm very excited as always today about my guests and the conversation that we are about to have. Today, we are going to talk about additive manufacturing and exactly what the heck that thing is. But more specifically, we're going to talk about an additive manufacturing summer institute, which was a project between the National Science Foundation ATE grant program and Columbus State Community College, the Past Foundation along with a lot of collaborators from industry and a variety of educational partners in and around the community. And joining us today are two of the Summer Institute's participants, um, Mike Kunzelman, um, who is a 912 engineering teacher at Dehanna Lincoln High School, a 13-year veteran teacher of engineering, and although he won't necessarily share it with us, I will share it with us all, um, who is also the 2018 Columbus Parent Magazine High School Teacher of the Year. And the best part of that is that he was nominated by the student. So I would say a beloved engineering teacher at that. So welcome, Mike. Thank you. And also joining us um, with Mike today is Ian Stroop. And Ian is a first-year student at The Ohio State University uh, studying industrial and systems engineering. And what makes Ian so special in this conversation is that um, he actually participated in the Summer Institute twice. First, as a student um, when he was um, uh, in high school. And then as an assistant instructor, as he finished up school, getting ready to go from high school into engineering engineering at Ohio State. And so we're very excited to have Ian with us as well. So welcome. Thank you. So I want to spend a little bit of time today really sort of digging in a couple of different pieces. But first and foremost, Ian, I'm really hoping that you can explain to us what the heck is additive (laughs) manufacturing? Yeah. So if you think about how uh, products have been made for centuries or for since the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s, you... uh, it's been more of a subtractive method. So you have an idea for a piece and you take a block of something as if, like, say you're trying to sculpt something out of a, a block of uh, granite or something. You would take it, you'd have an idea, you take a block and then chisel away at the block. So you're taking uh, material away from a block. But additive manufacturing, as the name implies, is where you you have an idea for something, you can put it into a CAD model and computer-aided design and then essentially 3D printed out so you can print it layer by layer to make uh, different start at the bottom and then print up so you don't have to uh, take away material but you add material to a surface and then add it up on up. And additive manufacturing and 3D printing and everything that sort of uh, comes with that is really kind of the now thing. Right, yes. It's really uh, where the future is going. So you think of the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s started this whole manufacturing with subtractive method. 
But then now, with the advent of 3D printing, you can really, it, it, it pushes the boundaries of what you can make more so than subtractive manufacturing. Because if you think about it, say you want to ma- manufacture a part with something inside it. By subtractive methods, you would have to carve those two pieces out and then like, put, make it in two pieces and then put them together. Whereas with, with additive manufacturing, you now can print it all as one piece. Which is really, really amazing. It really is. It it's, really is. Yeah. It's wicked awesome. So, so Mike, um, you know, in the 13 years that you've been an engineering teacher, I mean, at, at what point in your career did you see additive manufacturing become a thing that was relevant and tangible to you in the K-12 setting? And we're going to circle back around to the industry piece, but I'm really trying to get at this notion of when was it something that as a teacher you suddenly needed to be very aware of? So I started bringing 3D printing into my classroom around 2008. And I remember quite a terrible 3D printer we had. (laughs) And it was tough because as a teacher, I brought it in, but there was no tech support. I I couldn't put in a help ticket to our district to come help me with my 3D printer. No one knew what the heck this thing was. And for the students, it still was such an abstract idea. It wasn't mainstream yet. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty cool to see and show the kids a few examples of using this technology. But even at that point, I hadn't fully embraced what we could do with this. It it wasn't like we use it now. Mm -hmm. Um, we're 3D printing dozens of parts a day now, and it's no big deal. And that's really not that long ago. No. Um, and the technology's improved so much, and the, and the uh, barrier of entry is so low now that we have middle school kids 3D printing on their own. Um, so I, I've seen quite a transformation, and, and students really take all of this technology for granted. It's much, much much easier just to 3D print a part and not really think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like I, I heard some of my photography teachers talk about how great it was to take photos on film because you had to really think about your your shot before you took it. And then when digital cameras came out, you could just shoot away. Kind of the same thing I'm starting to see with 3D printing. My students now are so used to having it from middle school up that they'll just print iteration, 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 iteration. And I don't know. I I feel like it's kind of taking a step back from making great designs, but I I think we'll begin to find a perfect balance here soon. You can always charge them a quarter every time they have to reprint something, right? Oh, yeah. I would be very rich. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Mike, um, as as again, as a veteran teacher, this program comes along. You've clearly been utilizing 3D printing early on in your classroom. You know, you're 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 definitely not afraid of the technology by any stretch of the imagination. So, so why why does a teacher with that much engineering experience in the classroom want to participate and take a program in additive manufacturing? I mean, it's four weeks. I want to be really clear with our listeners. So this was not a small endeavor. This program was four weeks in the summer, all day long. Yes, yes. definitely very involved. Um, I, I think the the biggest thing I was looking for was to work with some of the other manufacturing techniques and be able to harness some of the traditional manufacturing with additive manufacturing. Okay. So when you think about a part, like, yeah, I could just 3D print this and let it go overnight or whatever and, and 3D print this whole part. But if I could use, say, you know, this tool to like laser cut this part 
that's maybe a really long span and then plug it into my 3D printed part and, and kind of combining technologies, mm-hmm. I think is really where we start to see some of this advanced manufacturing. Uh, also, we use some of the 3D printing uh, molds. So we could print with a resin printer into a high temp uh, model and cast molten pewter directly into that. So it was kind of a completely different way of thinking about out of manufacturing, which traditionally to make a mold to cast something, you know, it's very time intensive or you're pouring silicone and whatnot. So to be able to print a mold and cast metal into it was like mind bending and kids haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. So I was really looking to kind of share some of that thought process and, you know, maybe learn a few new techniques. And so have you been able then to, because you participated in the first year of the program, I believe, no, last year? Yeah, this was my first this, summer. Yeah. This past summer. Okay, yeah. sorry. So you did the Mission to Mars project. Correct. And so we'll come back around to the project this year in a minute. But um, were you able or have you been able to take some of the things that you learned or the techniques and now utilize them in your own classroom? And if so, what does that look and feel like for your kiddos? So I actually just got a check from our education foundation on Friday to start a casting lab using 3D printed molds. Wow. Uh, So it, it kind of inspired me. It was really cool. It was different. Not a whole lot of people or other schools I know are doing it. So it's like, hey, this is a unique experience. I can bring back Mm -hmm. to my students. Uh, So I haven't been able to do it yet, but I have the money now. But that was a big win because oh, it, you, you know, that's one of the things that we hear oftentimes when teachers go off and do these these programs. It was great, it was fun. I learned a lot, but I may or may not really be able to apply it back into my school and my classroom. That's that's a, a constant trend that we we hear a lot of pushback um, for. So the fact that you you got a grant and you're now ready to roll, that's that's a huge win. Yeah. Well, you have to be willing to try yeah. to get it. Yeah, absolutely. So Wow, I, I, I can't wait to sort of hear how it all goes once once the kids dig in. We'll Me circle too. back around on that um, in a few months to check in with you. Um, so, Ian, um, let's talk a little bit about the first time you participated mm-hmm. in the program because you were a student finishing up high school. And just for our listeners, because one of the things that I think is really um, intriguing sort of about your journey, so you're a homeschool kid. Yeah, I was. And so um, what... What prompted you, other than you obviously have a love for engineering or you wouldn't have ended up in that space in, in college, but so what prompted you to sign up and come to this program, not just once, but twice? And so before I did this program, I didn't really know what additive manufacturing was. I knew I wanted to do something with engineering. I wanted to get an engineering degree, but I didn't really know much about industry and the real things that engineering does. So I was taking class at Columbus State, I think the spring, the spring of 2017. I got an email inviting me to participate in this uh, this program, and I didn't really know what the program was, and I kind of pushed push the email aside. But then uh, my parents, my grandpa in particular, both engineer or all three <laughs> engineers, they said, "Hey, you should probably you should look into this. This would be a really good professional development type of thing, so mm-hmm. you can learn about the industry and about the different types of uh, manufacturing that are used today." Yeah, and. And you did. You got to, to see a lot of different things. One of the things the program includes is getting to go and visit a variety of different places along the way through the sort of the, the field trips, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. Anything to get everybody out of the lab for a right, little while, right. like during the week, because you were there a lot. Yeah. Um, and so from an industry standpoint, then, you know, as you're still just 
um, you know, sort of crafting what your future is going to look like. What were some of the takeaways that you thought were meaningful enough to have you um, come back again, but also um, sort of stay and stick with manufacturing when you were out, you know, in 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 the industry world as part of those experiences? I think, like I said, like we said before, that it's it's the cutting edge. It's the next big thing. I've been been told that it's the next industrial revolution. And then to come back the second year, I really wanted to take what I'd learned the first year and help out with the new travel students to in order to expose them to this new, this great new uh, innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun to watch the students. There was a real difference between the students in year one and the students in year two. Do you agree with that? Oh, I definitely agree. Yeah. I feel like there are more of them were engaged and wanted to be there. Yeah, and really, and really. Uh, Enjoy the subject, the subject matter. Yeah, yeah, I, and I think that part of the difference was, of course, you know, anytime at past when we do these sorts of programs, um, because we're an R and D uh, facility, we're we're learning right along with you, right? We we. You know, it would be awesome, I suppose, on some levels, but I don't know that we'd learn as much if we actually put out and crafted these fully baked things before we ran down the road with it. But that's just not our style at all. So uh, we definitely learned a lot ourselves between year one and year two. Um, And I do think it was different sorts of students because the students understood what the program was about the second time around, right? Because there was was information out out on the street, so, uh, so to speak. So... Mike, can you tell us a little bit about the the particular project this summer? So the mission to Mars piece, and 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 I, I want to get into some of the um, sort of ins and outs of the the way the program itself worked. But I'm I'm mainly interested in what do you think that the students were were getting out of it at the end of the day, right? Because there was a real difference. And I, you know, I, I, I'm biased and privileged in um, a lot of things in between, truth be told, because I get to sort of watch from the outside looking in, but truly watching through the glass, you know, all summer long. And, you know, the difference between, for example, the presentations that the students make at the end of the first week versus where you guys all ultimately end up is pretty much night and day. So from the teacher perspective, where, where do you see the value add for the students who participate? So I think framing the entire camp around the Mars project just gives all of those skills some kind of relevance to the actual learning. Instead of just teaching those concepts with generic parts that they had to generate, they probably would still learn the same skills at the end, but there's no buy-in. There's no relevance to what they're building. There's no theme around it. And by kind of framing around that Mars, it adds a level of fun to it, almost like gamifying the learning. and it just makes a more enjoyable scenario in classroom setting to kind of think, you know, so imaginatively into how are these habitats going to look like? What are these haulers going to look like? Um, we talked a lot about Elon Musk and <laughs> some of the fun, you know, crazy ideas. Um, so it was just nice to see student learning. I think, again, in the end, it was an additive manufacturing camp. So we were really trying to push additive manufacturing and then just in that lens of of Mars and mm-hmm. just kind of a little twist of fun. My main goal was to kind of add additive manufacturing with some of those traditional manufacturing techniques still with that lens of Mars. Mm-hmm. And so Ian, just for the listeners who don't understand the context, tell us tell us about the Mission to Mars project. What were the ins and outs of that? So basically we were basing it off of Elon's Musk challenge to get to Mars. So we 
split the students up in groups of, in groups of about four, and we challenged them to come up with their own plan uh, to how to get to Mars and how to establish a culture on Mars using additive manufacturing. So they created uh, different habitats that they would live in, different tools, and then rovers to explore the surface, and they would use uh, additive manufacturing to either make those, like take printers with them and print things there, or print uh, pieces on the ship to get to Mars and, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, and that was one of the common things I heard a lot in the presentations. Lots of printing while in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have, all, the that, you have all that time. That downtime, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so, Mike, how was it to have Ian sort of as an instructor? Ian's awesome. I, I would Thank say you. he's <laughs> way beyond his years. Um, and you have a college freshman working with you know, some pretty heavy hitters in there. And Jim mm-hmm. would come in and talk about professionalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ian was right there with everyone. I was like, man, you might might be missing your calling here and, and education might be where it's at for you. So mm-hmm. we'll see. It's not too late for him to change majors, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, it was great to work beside him. It was also cool to see him come back because he kind mm-hmm. of already knew the vibe of the camp. Right. Um, and it, it was very exciting. It, was it, it wasn't weird as a teacher. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, it worked. It worked fine. Right. And I learned stuff from my kids. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, I, I teach 120 kids every year and, and I have kids that are going to go off to Stanford and whatnot who are twice as intelligent as I am. So I learn stuff from them all the time. You kind of have to just strip down any of that and just, Kind of open your mind. I think and, I learned so much more from actually teaching the material than learning it myself because I had to I had to know it all to be able to yeah. transmit it to the students. Yeah. And I'd like to point out to the two of you that both those comments are signs of great teachers, right? So first and foremost, to recognize that you can learn as much from your kids as they will ever learn from you. And for you that, you know you know something when you have to teach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And so, you know, I will, I will echo that, you know, there's, we need all kinds of engineering teachers out there. Yeah. Yeah. You go off, do some engineering and <laughs> the real world, come back, do some teaching yeah. on the side or for real, you know, or, or any combination thereof. Absolutely. And even yeah. in that field, you almost can't know it all <laughs> yeah. and, or all of the ways to do it. And we had a big issue with, the camp using SolidWorks. Yeah. And I was an Autodesk guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know you can do this. <laughs> I can't help you with it, but I know it's possible. So it was just, and, and that's a good piece of advice too, since you're going to be a teacher, Ian, not even necessarily <laughs> knowing the right answer, but having the resources right. to mm-hmm. find right. that or the people to help you find that. Right. And I think that, and that's a big, for many teachers, not all, but for many teachers, that's sort of a, that mind shift, right? To become that facilitator of learning Mm -hmm. and not to be that, you know, that authority on any particular subject. And the reality is, is in almost all fields, but certainly in any field that has a high use or reliance on technology, the, the rate of change, there's no way you could possibly keep up. And so um, that is one of the things that I always love about the program as well. So, so Mike, I also want to dig in a little bit on the the teacher PD side because you weren't there just to participate in the program and learn the things that kids were learning. There was a another layer in this as well. So, talk a little bit about the 
the professional development component that sort of came along with this? So a lot of the professional development, like with back mapping and some of the the teacher planning, just different ways of thinking about how to frame up large projects that we did ahead of time in some of the Mm -hmm. P3 programs uh, through past really helped us to think about how to take a massive project like this four-week project Mm -hmm. and break it down into components that we could deliver to our students in a feasible manner. So that was kind of cool. And just working with some of the other teachers from other districts, which Typically, I never have anyone like me in my mm-hmm. district was kind of nice. Uh, so even still now, I communicate with two teachers through the camp. Oh, great. Uh, one at New Albany and one at Northland mm-hmm. or Northridge. Uh, just because we're singletons in both of our districts. So being able to network with them and having that same background has really been wonderful. Uh, and it will continue on. They've both come out to visit my school and now oh, planning great. to go out and visit their programs. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's definitely what you want to hear. And it is a really tough space, right? Because most districts, um, if you're lucky, if you have an engineering teacher. Correct. And and the rare few that have more than one, um, but that's not unusual. Another, you know, nod to Ian for, you know, the reason to become an engineering <laughs> teacher. We're we're pretty desperate across mm-hmm. the country and around the world for for folks who can do that. Um, so, Ian, from the, uh, you know, as you spent your time this summer in particular sort of leading, so where did you see that the students and the teachers, where were the struggle points in understanding the concepts tied to additive manufacturing? The additive manufacturing or the project in general? Well, we could take it from both both directions. You know, I'm really trying to to drill in a little bit on, you know, the the relationship or the relevancy back to industry. You know, um, part of the reason it passed, we do these programs is we're trying to expose students primarily, but teachers as well, to the potential careers because folks don't have a clue how how broad and how diverse engineering is, right, mm-hmm. for example. So wh- where did you see some of those struggles? I think for the struggles with additive manufacturing in particular, it's like it's where to, it, the, we use it in actual industry because we're uh, coming up with ideas, like they would uh, come up with an idea of a design for a rover. Mm-hmm. They would print out this little plastic piece. Well, it's like, what do you do with the little plastic piece? So I think it's just having them try to wrap their heads around what we would use this for in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I think for the project in general, it was the lack of constraints at the beginning, so they didn't really know what they were supposed to do, mm-hmm. and which the idea was that they would come up with the constraints and figure out what needed to happen. But I think at the beginning, they struggled with wrapping their heads around that, but then as we kind of coached them through it, they were able to understand what they needed to do and where they needed to get. Yeah. Do you see the same thing, Mike, with, with, with your students when you're introducing new, new things um, for the kiddos in your classroom? Yeah, they they have they have troubles kind of sticking to like you said like the real world constraints and they're mm-hmm. it's almost like they're just making toys mm-hmm. and getting them to kind of focus on you know strengths and and building these things for like material testing purposes. Right. Um, yeah, definitely see that, and we really didn't take advantage of the structural stress analyzer you guys mm-hmm. had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But really that. Things like that to where I need to design this part to hold X amount of weight, I think would completely shift the mindset and their design. Right. And so when you when you do these types of projects in your classroom, then do your kids eventually get there or do you have to prod them along or does it kind of vary? 
They don't quite get that. A few will, but they've never really worked on a project where they have to encounter budgets and Mm -hmm. strengths Mm -hmm. of materials, uh, availability of materials. And you really have to prod them along or let them actually build something and make them pay for it or, (laughs) or, you know, give them some kind of budget. There's there's no real world piece to it. Um, And we could do that with the Mars rover. And we're allowing them to use some of the technology in the summer camp that doesn't exist. Right. So, you know, that again, you're on a fine line of allowing their thoughts to flow freely and let them come up with crazy ideas, which is awesome to see. Then you also have to kind of bring it back down to the real room. Like we actually can't make that. Right. Um, So the technology doesn't exist yet, but it's a nice idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's a balance, I think Mm of, of not completely thwarting their ideas, but, giving them some inspiration too. Mm-hmm. So so Ian, as you sort of take what you learn into the post-secondary experience, you know, college right now, you know, what what was a big takeaway that you're actually being able to apply? Not not so much process pieces, but I mean, what were some of the things that you utilized in that experience that you think help you as as you try to get yourself through engineering school? I think just the the mindset of the design cycle, the design thinking. Like if you're designing a part, you have to come have an idea first. And then you design the idea, either draw it on paper or put it in a CAD software. And then you build the part, 3D printing, make it out of whatever you have. And then see if it fits, it uh, solves the problem you're trying to solve. And if it doesn't, then going back and slightly modifying that to solve the problem better. So that's like, as I, as I go forward through engineering classes where we're building different types of things for projects, I think just having that knowledge of this is how you, this is the cycle of design to try to make this part or make this uh, uh, solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, um, you know, many of the kids that I saw in the program, they struggled with that a little bit. But I also saw on the flip side, this... Um, the sort of awesome perseverance. We actually had one of the kiddos who showed up last week who didn't pass the solid work certification. So for our listeners, in the first year you guys sat for the SME, SME yeah. um, certification. And this year you got to sit for a solid work certification. Correct. And so, yeah, this kid didn't pass the first time and was not happy. <laughs> and not just for not passing, but really, really wanted to complete and earn that certification. And so he came in last week and sat for it again and he passed. And the just like, it was joy. This, this kid was joyous. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do with this certification, but I have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, th- I think just seeing, seeing kids struggle and modify, I'm sure he had to go back and, you know, study and whatnot, um, and then come back and be able uh, to do that. So, so Mike, what's, what's next for you in your classroom? So what do you take from this program other than just like some of the things that you were exposed to, but as you actually think about or planning your next course of practice, what does that look like for you as a teacher? I think I really need to focus on expanding our out of manufacturing abilities. Like we've just kind of become complacent with what we have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have a a 
few standard FDM printers and you know everything's fine and dandy and we're comfortable. So I, I think I need to get uncomfortable again um, and think about maybe designing some printers of our own using unique materials, mm-hmm. some different extruders. I was talking to a teacher in Marysville last week uh, who's working on a clay extrusion printer, which has been done, but mm-hmm. to do it yourself is pretty cool. So just trying to get out of our comfort zone a little more. Uh, I've been in it long enough. I'm comfortable enough. It's time to break some stuff and kind of change up what we're doing a little. So I'd like to go there. I'd also like to get a little more involved in some of the resin printing, Mm -hmm. um, which we haven't had a a ton of experience in. And I'd say that's probably one of the more popular current Mm -hmm. approaches Mm -hmm. to 3D printing. Um, so that's kind of our current focus and I'm sure that will take plenty of our time. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so from the industry standpoint, then, especially as we think about the way that K-12 interfaces with industry, one of the things that we talk about a lot at past is around the notion of emerging workforce, right? So K-12, you know, back to that question that always gets me in trouble. I always get an email after I ask this question, but I'll ask it again anyway. What the heck are we preparing these kids for? Right. And so if we we sort of start with that question in mind with an end goal that at some point folks are going to end up in industry of some description, then where are the ties and the alignment between the K-12 experience and what you're doing, Mike, in your classroom and the experience that the ends of the world are having in post-secondary and off mm-hmm. into the to the world of work? So how then is it possible for the local industry partners to meaningfully be involved? with what you do? And it's kind of a question, but it's also just sort of hanging out there. But Mike, do you have an idea? I mean, for you, what would be meaningful? Is it is your school contemplating a pathway in manufacturing or do you already have that or going another direction or is that just a giant unknown? I have two answers for you. Okay, awesome. So one's super generic and I, I like to say we're preparing students to just be critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. So even if a kid wants to go out and be a doctor after my program, well, he's going to be a better doctor. He'll be able to think on his feet and think creatively. So that's the real generic Mm -hmm. open, like la-la land kind of answer. Um, But (laughs) more specifically, I think the biggest need in industry around us are technicians. And I think that kind of blend between white-collar, blue-collar position is going to emerge it already is and there is going to be a huge need for these employees who know how to program a robot troubleshoot it solder a few joints whatever fix it from that end but also turn a wrench you know rebuild it weld it whatnot so uh, i think there's a new form of technician that we really need and i think that will be really a pathway that i would be interested Mm -hmm. in pursuing um and and i think it's a rewarding career for students because a lot of kids I see that come through my program who love engineering come out at the end and they're almost more leaning towards engineering technicians. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. like to still get their hands dirt a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. them. And I don't know if it's just our demographic where we are, um, but the students like to get their hands dirty. I'm like, well, maybe engineering's not quite for you. Maybe you want to be some kind of engineering technician. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where we'll start to maybe push kids. We'll see what some of our industry partners say. Mm-hmm. But helping kids understand that all of that's possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. It's the same thing in the medical field. You don't just have to be a doctor or nurse that you could actually be an allied health technician. There are yep. so many jobs across our field and we need every single one of these people. And in fact, in many ways, and I believe engineering is the same, we need more technicians than we need engineers. 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need them all. Um, but the reality of it is you need an awful lot of technicians, you know, for the to actually put in or implement the thing that one engineer um, has been responsible for. So, so what about you, Ian, as you sort of think about that same question to you, you know, where is the best and highest use of industry right now as it relates to influencing students' choices, their experiences, their understanding in that sort of K-12 space? I think just focusing on not everyone needs to go to college, again, like Mike was saying, and, and become an engineer. But you can, there are other avenues to become a technician, like mm-hmm. at Columbus State has a program where you can mm-hmm. become a robotic technician, or there are a couple other ones, I'm not sure right now. Mm-hmm. Or a tolls manufacturer. I don't, not sure what the career tech. tech yeah, uh-huh. tolls career, career uh-huh. tech. We went actually toward that during the uh, institute yep. and learned about the robotics. So I think those those types of schools, like showing students that those options are open. It's not okay. You have to go to college. You have to do this, mm-hmm. but there are other options open. Not not saying that you shouldn't go to college, mm-hmm. and then that's what I'm doing right now. But <laughs> there are other options. That's mm-hmm. not the only only. Uh, pathway. Right. And so from that industry side, let's let's sort of turn, you know, full circle here and ask the question, so what can industry do, Mike, specifically in your classroom? So industry just shows up, they're knocking on your door, they're saying, hey, high in the sky, yeah. what do we need? And I'm not talking about giving you money and giving you stuff because we all know industry is capable of doing that. But I, I want to get more tangible. What is it that industry can do for you that's truly useful for your students? I think opening up the doors to their facilities and letting our kids get a little early experience yeah. to see what it's like. Because, it, I mean, their work environments are better than ours in most cases. And and kind of just sh- shifting the mindset of what manufacturing is. So I, I think for manufacturing facilities to bring our kids in and some of these industry partners to actually sit down and let our kids see what there is available and what these jobs actually look like, uh, would be really helpful. And and sometimes I'm not sure if the industry realizes what kind of caliber kids we see. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are ready to go out and work. Mm-hmm. They, their mm-hmm. skills are at what some of their 30-year veterans have because they learn so fast. Um, and I know like with Columbus State, that program through their work study of pairing some of these mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. early on in high-tech fields and getting real-world experience is unbelievable. But you know, the kids have to make that jump to Columbus State first to experience that. But if they could see that earlier, mm-hmm. it, it might help some of them. And especially some of those students who aren't set out for a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. If they don't go there, then sometimes their guidance counselors don't know where else they can go. Right. So, right. You, you know, this this middle ground has kind of just been in the dark for a while. And I think it it is the emerging kind of field, really. Mm-hmm. And industry can definitely help with that. Yeah. My um, my son uh, was in the program with you guys this summer, and um, he was telling me all about getting to go to Honda and see behind the curtain, so to speak. Now, I've been to, up to the Honda facility in Marysville many, many times, and I've never gotten to go to the places where you guys get to go. And so I'm insanely jealous of that. But I do think that, that made a, it, it certainly made an impression on him because he was able to tell me not just the things that he saw, but what they meant and sort of what kind of job that would translate into, not the job they were doing you know, in the plant at the moment, but what he anticipated that job would become. And I don't think mm-hmm. that was necessarily, I didn't get the gist, it was something that someone was expressed to you, but that was just sorting it back to your point, Mike, on its own, you know, realized, well, that might be a really cool thing and you could do this with that. So I thought that that was very telling 
to your point, these kids are pretty savvy. They're mm-hmm. ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, ready to go. So as we sort of wrap the program, I always like to to leave folks with some, you know, some some last passes. So folks who are out there who don't have this program in their backyard or don't have the opportunity for this program, but have been able to listen to us today and said, hmm, you know, I could do something similar. It might not be in added manufacturing, it might be in something else, but you know, I think that I could pull together with the right partners and and pull programming together. And so, um, so Ian, you know, having been a student and then also leading instruction and then moving uh, into this field, so w- what kind of recommendation, um, you know, two or three things that you think that if somebody were going to start and do a summer institute, a very intensive sort of work-study-based program, what would you recommend to somebody that they make sure that they have or include? I would, I would recommend that you would make sure you have the students working together as a team and have the instructor. I know it passed the, mm-hmm. the instructor of the institute is more like a coach mm-hmm. where they direct the kids in learning, but they don't necessarily, they don't stand up there and lecture mm-hmm. for the whole time. But I think I know spe- specifically for me in STEM sort of classes, I learn better when I get my hands dirty and work on the stuff instead of listening to, to, to a teacher professor write stuff on the board. So I think just making sure you have like projects for them to work on, goals set for them, and then they have to go and figure it out. And if they get stumble on the way, then the, the teacher can come in and say, here, why don't you try this, this, and this, and this. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, just working as a team and figuring it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no drill and kill. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. What about for you, Mike? What, what would you say to teachers out there contemplating doing such a thing? I would recommend they try to expose our students to as many different forms of this technology as they can and and different ways to go about this. In four weeks, you're not going to get someone who is a novice to be an expert. Right. So you get that out of your head and say, all right, how many different things can I expose these students to, to at least, you know, plant that seed and let them see that it exists. Then if they so choose to pursue some of these different topics in detail, they can. So I would just say, you know, kind of let those instructors maybe not have to be experts in all of those different fields, but let them kind of showcase some of them or even take them out to a few different industries mm-hmm. where some of these completely outrageous forms of manufacturing are being utilized. At least see that it exists. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is some wild stuff oh, yeah. happening oh, yeah. and yeah. additive manufacturing. And yeah. right here too. Yeah. I mean, in Columbus, there's so much to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's a very interesting field, and it's certainly one that we know students are um, really, really interested in. Uh, we ran versions of the Additive Manufacturing Summer Institute um, for as young as fourth graders uh, this year, right? Simple stuff, back to your point, Mike, right? You know, they're, they're, they're making essentially a toy, but we were making sure that they understood the the, the primary basis of it. So kids are really interested in it. So n- nothing to lose when you can engage your kids along the way. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. It was a pleasure to have you. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. Mm-hmm.